Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes from Philippians 3, verses 12 through 4, 1. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God, their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning and welcome to the Leewood campus. I'm Tom. Uh, glad you are here. Very glad you're here on this beautiful day. One of my greatest passions growing up uh, was wrestling. I have to tell you, I loved this sport as much as life and uh, gave many of my years to it. That is until my junior year in high school. Looking back, I'm not sure all what happened to me. Maybe it's the many years of wrestling that sort of took its toll on me. Perhaps it was the next level of success that eluded me. I'm not sure. Whether it was fatigue, discouragement, disillusionment of the sport, as long-distance runners would say, I hit the wall. Much to the shock of my teammates and my coach, I walked away from the sport. Now, quitting my wrestling team, I have to say, didn't last for long, but I remember in those few weeks how joyless I felt, how empty I felt, how I missed my teammates, and I missed the mat. Now, I'm grateful for my coach, his sensitive encouragement to me eventually led me back to the wrestling mat. And yes, the good news, the best year of my high school wrestling career. Now, while you may have not experienced hitting the wall or walking away from a sport, may I suggest you probably have been there in different ways. Maybe you've ex experienced the reality of hitting the wall, walking away from a close, long-time friendship. Maybe a difficult marriage, a demanding job, a long-time career. But what about hitting the wall in a journey of faith? On faith's rugged terrain, yes, we can hit the wall, and we often do, and yes, we can walk away. 
Now, pastors are known for talking about how wonderful it is, and it is wonderful, when people choose to follow Jesus. We're a little more reluctant to also communicate another more inconvenient truth, and that is many people choose to walk away from Jesus. And transparently, there have been times in my own faith journey where I too have wanted to walk away. I too have wanted to throw in the towel. But whether it's in the arena of relationships, of sports, or of faith, each one of us must grasp that the joy our heart so desperately longs for is not found in quitting. It is found in persevering. When we throw in the towel, we throw out joy. And this is the transforming truth that greets us in our inspired text this morning. In Paul's letter to the first century church in Philippi, Greece. So if you have a Bible around you, with you, whatever, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. As a church family, we're exploring Paul's personal and very transparent and very joyful letter to this first century local church in Greece. Let's remember that he is writing from a Roman prison, yet Paul points each of us to the path of faith and to the train of joy in our life. So in chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, which Pastor Andrew unpacked for us last week, Paul transparently shares his own journey of faith, and he emphasizes his intimacy with Jesus, his secure identity in Jesus, and the hope that is anchored in this resurrection life he is experiencing in Jesus. And Paul embodies... And in his letter, the joy of someone who is delighted to be with us. And yet, there is a great joy beckoning him from a distant land. Now, beginning in verse 12, if you're following along through chapter 4, four verse 1, which is a section of this text, Paul assumes kind of the posture of an athletic coach. And he will encourage these first century followers of Jesus and each of us to keep keeping on. And in our text this morning, we are going to discover how this text flows. The Apostle Paul gives each of us three joy-filled encouragements to help us persevere, to help us keep keeping on even when we hit the wall of rugged faith. And Paul will say, and you will see this as this text unfolds, press on, press on. Hold on and stand firm. He will say, press on to what lies ahead, hold on to what is true, and stand firm together in the Lord. That's where this text goes. The first encouragement is this, verses 12 through 14. Paul says, press on to what lies ahead. Now, Paul shares his own experience to encourage his readers. He says, not that I have already obtained it or already am perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made, it, made me his own. Brothers, or brothers and sisters, we can translate that. I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Toward the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to notice in this text, as Paul often does, he frames it, weaves it together around a primary metaphor, a metaphor very common to the first century Greek world. You've heard of the marathon, right? They were very uh, understanding of a long-distance race. Paul, you'll notice, frames this text and repeats it around a strong verb, to press on twice. And the idea tucked into the text is this all-in, wholehearted body commitment to finish the race and to not quit in the middle of it when times get hard, and they do get hard. What Paul keeps encouraging them and keeping them keeping on, he paints two compelling realities. And the way to remember, remember this is simply presence and prize, presence and prize. Paul emphasizes first the presence of Christ. He emphasizes the security and intimacy of his relationship with Jesus, and Paul says something really awesome. Christ has made me his own. I love the autobiographical sketch here. Paul is painting this idea of the manifest presence, the intimacy he has with Jesus. Jesus, the good shepherd who is with him always in the race. And remember we said, joy is when someone is delighted to be with us and never leaves the room on us. And this is the reality in Paul's life. It helps him run the race. But the second reality is also there. Not just the presence of Jesus, but the prize that Jesus will give him at the end of the race. Paul is looking he is straining forward to the head of time when he and death will encounter Jesus face to face, where Paul will experience the unimaginable joy of being completely whole in the resurrection life, along with the church triumphant in the new heavens and new earth. Paul is experiencing joy in the journey, yes. But his main focus here is even greater joy awaits at those of us who follow Jesus at the end of the journey. In other words, Paul is reinforcing all through this text, joy now, yes, but greater joy then. That's the deal. Keep your eyes on the prize. And Paul keeps pressing on with that in mind. So here in our text also, you will notice if you look carefully, that as Paul brings this metaphor of running, he also gives us and alludes to us two challenges. Two challenges to run the race well, okay? The way to remember that is perfectionism and the past. Now, first notice, Paul makes the point that he has a long, long way to go to experience the fullness of this resurrection life. In other words, his spiritual formation... <laughs> In Christ's likeness is not there yet. It's an ongoing process. He's making progress, but perfection eludes him. Now, Paul is very transparent, and that encourages us, but he's also very instructive here. Lurking here is the peril of spiritual, we may call it idealism, or prideful spiritual perfectionism. Now, let me say, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while or even longer, I think longer you go, the more perilous this is. It is a sizable obstacle, Paul experienced it, to our growing in spiritual maturity. It leads to all kinds of toxicity, like legalistic hypocrisy, and it is a grave threat to joy. Now, we know from other texts that Paul acutely felt this massive gap between his own life 
his interior world, and the life of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let's be transparent. We do too, don't we? I know I often do. In fact, the longer I have walked with Jesus, the more glorious his presence is, the more empowering the Spirit is, but the more difficult the terrain of faith is. And the more I realize how desperately far away I am from Christ-likeness. Paul felt this. Followers of Jesus feel this in the journey of faith, especially the longer you walk with Christ. There is discouragement and disillusionment that shadows us in this reality. Paul describes this powerfully. For example, in his letter to the Romans, Paul says this, Romans 7, you might read the rest, this whole section, but let me give you a snippet in verse 15. Paul says, I do not understand my own actions. Have <laughs> you ever been there? For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate or despise. Yet Paul tells us here in Philippians, do not let this gap hold you back. Instead, he says, look forward. Lean into gospel grace as a lifeline of increasing spiritual transformation in your life. Paul clearly stumbled along the way, but he didn't walk away, and he knew Jesus would never walk away from him. In his journey of faith, Paul experienced the joy of knowing Jesus delighted in him and would never leave him. Paul knew that he would not always experience the highs of the Christian life, not always experience great spiritual victory. He would struggle with thorns in the flesh and weakness. But he knew someone was glad to be with him, and he stayed in the race. He persevered. He didn't quit. That's the idea. Now, one of my favorite movies of all time is Chariots of Fire, and uh, it's probably number one in my top five. This story, again, most of us have seen it, but is based on the 1924 Paris Olympics, and it features this remarkable runner, Eric Little, right, who's a Christian and that sort of thing. But what we don't often emphasize is there was another runner that this movie features and contrasts with Eric Little, England's great Harold Abrams. And there's a particular compelling scene for me that has been sort of imprinted in my memory around Abrams as a runner. Abrams lost a race. He had never lost a race before. <laughs> and there's a picture of him sulking by himself, squarely in the jaws of defeat, of his prideful perfectionism. And he is ready to throw in the towel. So if you've seen it, Harold Abrams girlfriend comes up to him, and Harold Abrams is looking down, you know, in the greatest sense of defeat, and Harold says to her, if I can't win, I won't run. And with the sense of unabashed incredulity, she looks him in the eye and says, Harold, if you don't run, you can't win. That's where Paul is. These are wise words for an Olympian, but they are the most important words, perhaps, for any apprentice of Jesus. Joy is not found in quitting, y'all, but in persevering. For when we throw in the towel, we throw away joy. Joy is not found in some kind of fake spiritual perfectionism, but in faithful perseverance 
Paul says, breathe grace and stay in the race. Breathe grace, stay in the race. But there is another obstacle we face in running the race. Paul really hits this here. It's not just faulty spiritual perfectionism. It is the shadows and shackles of our past. Let's remember, before Jesus found Paul on that dusty road to Damascus, motivated by a misguided religious zeal, Paul was a murderer and terrorist. How would you like to have that in your past? This ugly past shadowed Paul's thoughts. It greeted him when he got up in the morning, and it was fodder for Satan's demeaning accusations his entire life, I'm convinced. It was one of the greatest challenges of his life. It shackled his joy. But notice Paul says here in verse 13, I forget what lies behind. I think that was a daily discipline for him. And I strain forward to what lies ahead. It is as if Paul is preaching the gospel to himself here, which we all need to do regularly. Right? Paul said to the Corinthians, if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are gone. New things have come. Yay! But there was this gap in his daily experience of that truth, just like you and me. Like Paul, we need not be shackled by our past, whatever that is. Yes, our past matters. And it has shaped us in profound ways, more than most of us even realize, for good and for bad, and everything in between. And sometimes we need a professional wise counselor to help us work through our past. But the good news of the gospel is that our past need not define us. It need not prevent us from growing in greater Christ-likeness and experiencing the joy of the journey of faith. And hear me carefully. We not only lay our sin at the foot of the cross, we lay our past there as well. Paul's primary focus here is future. And he uses this metaphor writing to Timothy, Pastor Timothy at Ephesus, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. He is facing what we believe is martyrdom in Rome. It's just around the corner. And he writes, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, he says, but to all who have loved his appearing. One of your greatest temptations and perils is prideful spiritual perfectionism. And Paul restructures our thinking and our heart to a hopeful realism. You and I are not going to get there on this side of the new heaven and new earth. We may be hounded by our past, but Paul says, remember the truth of the gospel. Experience and re-experience forgiveness. Breathe grace. Don't walk away. Don't quit. Press on. But notice, he goes to second, hold on. The second encouragement is not only a press on, it's a hold on what is true. Look at verses 15 through 21. Paul urges the Philippians to hold on right now and to follow his example to greater maturity in Christ. He says in verses 15 and 16, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this also to you. 
Only let us hold on to truth, to what has been attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now notice the emphasis of Rabbi the Apostle Paul. In running the race of faith, Paul affirms the importance, the vitality of knowing truth in a cognitive manner. But he also communicates here having it lived out in a tacit embodied way. See, one of the ways we hold on to truth, y'all, and stay in the race is to never run alone, but to look to others as examples that embody this truth in our local faith community. See, like joy, perseverance is a team sport. I met Mark in college. Mark had been a runner, yes, in high school. He hadn't quite been able to make the college team, but he was an amazing runner. And he became a friend. Now, I was never a runner. I mean, wrestlers are treasures. I was an athlete in high school, but I wasn't into running. I hated running. And I remember Mark saying, get out of the weight room, Nelson, and join me. I dare you. So, of course, as a college kid, I had to do that. I must admit, the very first few times I ran with Mark, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> You've been there. Every step I wanted to quit. But Mark slowed up his pace and helped me stay with him and he encouraged me to keep keeping on. You know what happened as I trained with him? Just for a couple weeks, I started getting more in shape. And running became part of my life and is to this very day. How grateful I am for Mark. Mark made the difference between me pressing on or throwing in the towel. Running the race of faith alone is not an option. Paul will say this in the New Testament over and over again, which may jar us a bit. Imitate me. <laughs> wow. Paul doesn't say this in a prideful way, but in an authentic, encouraging way. Now, let me say, we must not confuse example from pedest and pedest with pedestal, right? There's absolutely no place for putting any follower of Jesus, any spiritual leader on a pedestal in the Christian community. There's only one throne, and Jesus Christ, King of Kings, sits on it. But there is an important place in our faith community to look to examples for us to emulate as we run the race of faith. This is an important aspect of how the local church is designed and how the spiritual gifting of leadership emerges. A vital aspect of our own spiritual formation is that you and I are formed by imitation. Imitating Jesus first, of course, primary. But also to imitate others' examples that are worthy for us to follow. This is why God designed the local church to have spiritual leaders who walk the talk, whose virtue and spiritual formation overflow from their lives of apprenticeship 
and their basin and towel servanthood. Who can say, not with spiritual pride or the abuse of power, but with a shepherd's heart, follow me as I follow Jesus. The writer of Hebrews is explicit here in Hebrews 13, verse 7. It's a verse that's often missed to the church's great peril. And that is an exhortation, actually an imperative, to imitate our spiritual leaders in our faith community. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Notice not just their words. And imitate their faith. Jesus gives gifts of leadership to his faith community. Not for us to criticize them, but for us to assume a teachable posture to learn from them, to emulate and follow them. Having said that, I know what you're thinking. Of course, this is not blind following. There must be discernment in the case particularly of spiritual leaders who abuse authority or are false teachers. Paul reminds the Philippian believers that as a spiritual leader, he is setting an example for them to emulate. But it's not just spiritual leaders, it's other Christians. What about you and me? What gospel life are you living? What gospel are you proclaiming through your life at home, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your friendships with your children or grandchildren? At school, in your workplace Monday morning. The gospel often, and in our cultural context, I would say most often, needs to be seen before it can truly be heard. As an apprentice of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus today, what example are you setting for those in your life? Is your Christian life, friends, the kind of example? In word, attitude, and deed, that is worthy to follow by those around you. Your life on Monday is speaking more than you ever imagined. In verses 18 through 19, Paul now paints a riveting contrast of others who are anything but encouraging examples. Notice the riveting contrast. Most likely, Paul and scholars, I think the majority of scholars believe this, I do, that Paul is describing people at Philippi or someone near there who have professed faith. There are people who have said they are Christians, but now they have walked away from Christ. They are not examples to follow. Individuals who in the rugged train of faith hit the wall, were wooed away by, notice the language, the siren song of comfort and indulgence. And then they tossed in the towel. One of my favorite 20th century writers is G.K. Chesterton. What a witty guy. And he said something that I think is so brilliant. He says, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. The race of faith is exhilarating, you bet. There's joy in the journey, but it is difficult. And it is increasingly difficult the longer you walk with Jesus. 
It's more glorious, but it's rugged. And inviting people to follow him, Jesus never hid this. He never hid his scars nor his cross. See, fueling our perseverance is remembering our new identity in Christ and anticipating, notice where Paul goes, the full identity, the realization of what is ahead of us. Paul employs a secondary metaphor tucked into the primary metaphor in verses 20 through 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. For from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice his titles. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul is saying when we run the race of faith, we need to know we have a new citizenship. A new citizenship tied not to a temporal human government or nation, but to our life in the already not fully yet kingdom of the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. Recently, a friend of mine who immigrated to the United States, he moved here from another country, and my friend made the point that as he pursued citizenship, he first received a green card, which gave him resident status. But even though he had all these rights and responsibilities now of citizenship, he wasn't a full citizenship until four years later when he was given the status with a smile on his face, I became a United States citizen. As he shared his experience, I thought that's exactly what Paul's saying. Paul is describing the race of faith as a kingdom citizenship. Paul looks at kingdom citizenship through a future-focused lens, though. Don't miss that. In other words, we are not who we were. But we are not all we're going to be. We live in an already not fully yet reality. One day we will have full citizenship. Our race of faith is moving us toward the new heavens and new earth in Christ. See, Paul, if you read his writings, you know that he understood and appreciated his rights as a Roman citizen under his Roman government. But we are not Roman citizens, right? We are American citizens, most of us. And as followers of Jesus, like Paul, we too have a dual citizenship. Our dual citizenship, citizenship brings with it an important stewardship, of course. It requires also careful and continual discernment in our lives and in our cultural moment. As Americans, we are entrusted with the rights and responsibilities of being good citizens of our country, and that's important very important. However, let me say, our highest allegiance is to Jesus and His kingdom, not any human government. Let's keep in mind in fresh ways that the kingdom of Jesus does not arrive on the result of an election or Air Force One. We must not make our nation our wonderful nation, or our partisan political views, an idol. Nor must we make it a wedge of division and disunity in our church community. This grieves the Lord Jesus. And it is greatly hindering the church's witness in our nation right now. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke with biblical clarity and wisdom when he said these words, the church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. Paul says, press on to what lies ahead. 
Hold on to what is true. And last, notice where he goes in a literary crescendo in 4.1. Stand firm. Stand firm together in the Lord. He says, therefore, verse 1, whom my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. Paul encourages us to run the race, but we stand firm, but we do it together. We do it together. Standing firm conveys perseverance and also unified togetherness around the main things in our master and his mission. And notice the joy Paul has. It just bubbles up. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of 4.1. Eugene Peterson, because he has such a grasp of language, captures the true emotion here. He says, my dear, dear friends, I love you so much. What a shepherd's heart. I do want the best for you. You make me feel such joy. You fill me with such pride. Do not waver. Come on, stay on track. Steady in God, okay? See, when we throw in the towel, we throw out joy. Throughout this text and this letter, Paul is looking to what is to come. The glorious future that awaits him. One of the most precious moments of my life. Someone reminded me in the earlier services, a moment I've never talked about. But I'll share it with you for just a moment. I'll try not to lose it in tears. I'll never forget sitting by my mom's bedside as she approached death. I arrived a little later because I was from out of town. Two of my sisters said that she'd been pretty much unresponsive for a day or so. So I sat by my mom's bedside. It was really hard to see her lying there so still and unresponsive. But I grabbed my Bible and turned to my mom's favorite book in the entire Bible, the book of Philippians. And as I began to read the book of Philippians out loud to my mom, when I got to chapter 2, she started to stir. And then when I got to chapter 3, her eyes opened. There was this smile said more. I'm going to get through this. It said more than I can fully describe. There was a hushed stillness in the room as the fresh breezes of eternity filled it. An indescribable joy was beckoning her from a distant land she was now approaching. My mom was an amazing person. She had a hard life. Her journey wasn't easy, but she had run the race. She had done it with perseverance. She crossed the finish line. See, for followers of Jesus, there is more joy coming. So Paul says, come on, come on. Press on to what lies ahead. Hold to what is true and stand firm together. 
with joyful hope, we say with the Apostle Paul, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Following our Lord Jesus, whose path of obedience took him to the cross, Holy Spirit, empower us to run this race with endurance, keeping our eyes on Jesus. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords.